Point of Impact podcast with Rick McDaniel. Thanks for joining us today. Get ready to be inspired and motivated to live a high-impact life. Now, here's Rick. Welcome to another episode of the Point of Impact podcast. I'm Rick McDaniel. Thanks for joining us again today. And we're going to start something new. We were doing a number of episodes on decisions, and I said last week that I wanted to do something which, when I looked back, I was kind of surprised I've never really talked about much before, which is relationships. It's a huge issue, and it's something that I've spoken about a lot over the years, but have never dedicated any podcast episodes to talking about it. And that's certainly something that needs to needs to be addressed, needs to be looked at. And, and I'm excited about spending a number of episodes in trying to help you with your relationships. I've got, I think, a lot of great topics. Like today, we'll talk about myths about healthy relationships and relationship destroyers. We'll talk about relational viruses, which is, will be fascinating. What about hard to love people? So we've got some good, we've got some good ones that we're going to cover over the next uh, series of, of weeks and series of episodes. And I'm looking forward to sharing these with you because uh, relationships are the fabric of life, the core of life. And if our relationships are good, basically our lives are going to be good, even if other things are challenging. And, and if they're bad, even if other things are going great, it's really hard to be happy. So it's super important and uh, got a lot of experience in, in this uh, through my uh, career of counseling folks and, and um, studying it, researching it, writing about it, speaking about it. I think uh, I think I can help you in a lot of ways, and I'm really looking forward to jumping into this. And even today, I, I really think that some of these myths, boy, they are they're not true. Uh, but you know, if you're not careful, they can really undermine your relationships. And you know, you may have bought into some of these for a variety of reasons that we'll look at. Before we jump in, I do want to say I've been doing a lot of interviews lately about staying positive in the midst of all this negativity. We have this pandemic that's coming to an end, but it's still, the vestiges are still around and, you know, there's a, there's still challenges from it for sure. And then we have this war going on in Ukraine that is uh, very disturbing and has all sorts of potential things that could take place. We have inflation and prices that are high and gas prices and you know there's a lot of things that are very very challenging right now and so i've been talking on radio and other podcasts uh, you know about these things and specifically about what we can do and one of the main things i'm talking about is really framing your thinking before you start your day like making sure that you you begin your day in the right mindset and um one way to do that is by reading the the book that I've written or specifically a reading because there's 100 of them. You can call them readings, devotions, meditations, whatever you want to call them. Two pages take you about two and a half or three minutes and you read one each day, ideally in the morning before you even start your day. 
So I just want to encourage you, you know, talking on other people's podcasts and, and radio interviews and other things, uh, talking about this. I want to make sure in my own podcast that I'm just encouraging you to do that, to start your day with the right mindset. Get the book, This Is Living, Daily Inspiration to Live Your Faith. You can just get it on Amazon. And then just each day before you enter into the day and let your mind start to receive the the news of the day and all kinds of other things, just start your day in the right way with the right mindset. I think it'll do wonders for you. So I encourage you to do that. All right, let's jump in. 10 myths about healthy relationships. I mean, there just are myths that we uh, have that we pick up and you know how does this happen well you know just who taught you about relationships i mean maybe you're you're getting your information from movies and television or maybe your 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 parents or maybe you know maybe your child a divorce and it's sort of like the, the power of the negative example look don't do that i'll do something different could be talking with your friends uh, you know i don't know what what it is, but these sources certainly don't guarantee a healthy relationship. And um, what it leads to in many ways is uh, some type of miscommunication about the the nature of of what it means to have a healthy relationship. And uh, I just love, I've I've done these a number of times through the years, these myths, I guess I just like them. I've written the, the myths, the five myths about this or that spoken about them and so it just sort of fits in my mentality I mean, these things are missed they're 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 not true you know they're they're inaccurate and you need to understand that so that you can have uh, the kind of health uh, so let's just uh, begin with the first myth and it's a great place to start the love myth it's easy to fall in love because intense physical attraction and passion will will do that. When when I met my wife, that was there was just a I'd call it almost infatuation, just an you know an intense attraction. But making um, that deep passion the kind of foundation of your uh, relationship is problematic because infatuation fades. I mean, it just doesn't. It's just not built for the long haul. That's not love. For a strong, healthy relationship, you have to focus more on on a love that's that is deeper, that has to do with companionship, um, shared interests, shared values, enjoying time together. I mean, these things are what really root you in a deeper love relationship. And and by the way, I just want to say now, I, I've been married for, for a number of years, over 30 years. So um, I do think I'm speaking from, I, I mentioned all the, the knowledge um, in terms of experience, counseling, all those things, but just want to make sure that you understand that I also have the, you know, sort of the boots on the ground to, to, to use a, a a military term since we're in this season unfortunately in the foxhole you know like i've been there i've done that i've experienced it i've raised a family i've done all these sorts of things so they're they're real they're absolutely positively real to me this isn't just talk and the companionship part is really huge to shared values and shared interest and spending time together all these sorts of things are crucial and and 
I don't have time to get into that more right now, but we will in, in these episodes on relationships. I'll come back to this because there's more to say. The second, and this is a huge one, the soulmate myth. Nearly two-thirds of Americans believe in soulmates or the idea that there's one single person who's your perfect match. And it's, you know, it's a really, it's a very charming idea, you know, makes for a great movie or fairy tale. But um, it's, it's a dangerous thing if you're single to constantly be on the quest for the, you know, perfection, uh, you know, that, that perfect soulmate, um, because that's just really a, 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 a poor way, um, a faulty way to go about seeking um, a, a long-term relationship and in, in, in marriage. That's just not, that's just not the best approach. Um, in relationships, it, this sort of belief in soulmates can keep you from being willing to accept uh, flaws, to be able to to look at someone who may be your future spouse or is your spouse and 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 look at them and be able to see them as imperfect human beings who are learning and growing just like you are an imperfect human being that is learning and growing it's just a danger there to to think in these terms and one of the things that always if you 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 still think oh there's only one person and you're like hey rick you know you found that person look how long you've been married but I just can tell you that I know people that have lost their spouse uh, to to death and found someone else, oh, you know, after a period of time. And, and then that new person, in, in my experience in interacting with them, you know, with both spouses, the one they had, the one that, that passed away, and then the new spouse, very similar, not in their home. But to me, it's just an example of, you know, maybe there just isn't that one soulmate kind of idea that, that we can have. Um, there's people out there that you could match up with. And really, it's finding the right person going back to the earlier love that, you know, you can really share life with and, and also can just really be uh, accepting of what you want to do with your life, like your goals and, you know, how you want to pursue life. Because I've had some friends that this has really been a real sticking point where as time goes on and life takes someone in a particular direction, especially public life, I'm thinking of, and then the spouse just doesn't really necessarily want that public life and not good, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's good to make sure that, you know, you understand that, you know, someone's like, well, I thought we would just always live here near my family as opposed to pursuing, say, job opportunities or promotions that might take you other places. All these sorts of things are things that just hugely important. And you got to line up with somebody who who's got that together rather than this kind of like rom-com version of of the perfect person, your soulmate. Here's another myth that this is an interesting one from recent research, the commitment myth. And this is really some pandemic related or produced, you might say, change. Prior to COVID, 58% of singles wanted to settle down. Today, 76% want a committed relationship. Holy smokes, an 18% increase? That is gigantic, gigantic. And 
here's another thing. Men are actually leading the way in a Match.com study of over 55,000 single Americans. It says that, that men are falling in love faster and more often, which is fascinating to me as a guy, and um, that they are interested in moving in together faster. And by the way, we'll get to that cohabitation myth in a moment. So they're, and, and here's the thing, they're more likely to want a committed relationship within the next year. So the, the old thinking was men fear commitment. And by the way, there's definite evidence for that. Absolutely. But but the the uh, the pandemic may have changed some of that. And, you know, spending time alone and just really kind of looking at what life is really all about uh, has led some men as certainly a significant increase to say, you know, I'm ready for this. And just the overall idea of singles wanting to be in a relationship and have such an enormous increase like that. I mean, I just think that that's worth hearing again from 58 to 76 percent want a committed relationship. Wow, that's from over half to three quarters. That's a little over half to three quarters. I mean, that's a significant increase. So and that's something to to look at if you're single. And again, if you're a guy and guys are saying, yeah, I, I'm ready for this. I'm ready to 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 make this move to to enter into a stronger commitment. Good for you. That's a sign of maturity. And for women, I would say, hey, this is what's happening. The pandemic has changed things. So that may want you may want to change your thinking and how you perceive things uh, to be or where you maybe think things were going and they may end up moving faster. Here's another myth, the happiness myth. And and basically, it's just this idea that, you know, that you're going to be happy in your relationship, you know, and that's just the way it's going to be. But the truth is that no one is happy all the time. And I, and again, I can speak to this. Uh, I've uh, spoken about this before the seasons of marriage, for instance. Uh, and, and believe me, there's the season before you have children. There's the season of young children. There, there's the season of teenagers. I mean, these are all distinct seasons in your marriage and they're different and you could nail one season really you could you could nail it and then in another season have some real challenges and that would be perfectly normal and perfectly understandable and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't stay married it just means that um there are things that can happen that can cause uh, the relationship to go through a tougher season. But if both people are willing to work through it, then things can get better and you can restore your level of happiness. Relationships ebb and flow. They're forever changing. So it's essential to just be flexible and kind of roll with those changes. And again, uh, pre uh, children, for instance, and then children. It's a massive difference. It's a massive, that doesn't mean you shouldn't have children. Uh, I think you should. The Bible says children are a gift from God. I think it's a fantastic thing, but it is a major change. And then the teenage years are a major change. In my marriage, it was really something because 
uh, I was more the disciplinarian. My wife was more the nurturer. And then we got to the teenage years and my wife just really, you know, didn't like some of the changes and some of the behaviors of the teenage children. And we, we sort of had like this switch where I became a little more like, hey, we've got to recognize these are not children now anymore. They're teenagers and they're growing toward independence. And that caused some challenges. So something you need to understand the seasons of, of, of a relationship. Here's another myth. I'll call it the ways myth, uh, meaning that, you know, there's many ways to uh, to love and to be loved. The best uh, description of this would be the book called The Five Love Languages. And if you haven't read that book, I would just recommend that you get it. It's a very good book. Gary Chapman's the author. It's been around for a while and it stays on the bestseller list, frankly, because new people are always introduced to the idea that there are five ways that 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 we can give or, or experience love. And it's very possible that your love language may not be the same as your spouse or someone that you're dating. Uh, so people think that, you know, we all uh, feel the same way when we're in love. And, and this is a misconception. You know, if you really loved me, then you would fill in the blank. But see, that's that's because you're speaking out of your love language. And so let's say your love language is verbal then you think that your the other person should be saying things to you all the time like i love you you're beautiful you're handsome giving you compliments saying all these things and that may not be their love language and so you're not going to hear that that doesn't mean by the way that you know it's not my love language so i can never say i love you that that's of course silly but it's just, it's just not going to flow as naturally and as easily uh, as 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 it does for the person who has that love language and so it's just really important uh to, to understand like the love language of presence uh, with this presence you know the c that some people they're just really there for you and their presence is their way of saying how much they love you and care for you and and so they are there for you but their words may not be coming out the way you'd like it's just uh, it's just different and so we just have to understand uh, how we get there, you know, there's attachment style has something to do with this. This is a psychological term, you know, just how people uh, uh, were raised. And so um, what that does to them, how they attach to another person. Um, but we're in this relationship and we just need to understand that we have that we have different uh, love languages and that's why it's so important to really read that book and kind of understand what yours is and what your spouse's is or your boyfriend or girlfriend. So you can you can really understand each other better. It will go a long way. The cohabitation myth. Let's let's talk about this because it came up earlier. We're talking about men are more interested in moving faster toward living together. 65 to 70 percent of couples, depending on what survey you read, live together. And the idea is, you know, you kick the tires, you take a test drive. I mean, that sounds right. You know, it just all sounds right. Well, get ready to have this one blown up for you. 60% of marriages that survived 15 years were people who did not live together. 53% 
survived 15 years if the people lived together first. And that, by the way, that comes from the centers of disease control of all places. This is not, you know, just some sort of Christian survey or something to try to move a particular viewpoint that would be biblical. That's just from a government agency. So just think about it for a moment. The whole idea, you know, you take a test drive, you kick the tires, you, you know, you, you do all these things because we're going to, you know, going to do a, a trial marriage. We're going to do marriage light. Uh, we're we're going to, you know, get on that uh, ramp that that leads to marriage. And what does it say? It, more marriages survive that don't do that than do. The reason cohabitating is popular is that you really don't have to deal with the marriage stuff. It's more fake than it is real. Marriage is an action. It's a decision. It's a statement. When you, when you get married, you make a clear decision to commit to marriage and reject other options. So that's what marriage is about. So this cohabitation idea, it, it's not, it doesn't achieve what, what it supposedly is supposed to do. It does not do it. There's no empirical evidence or data that says this is the, the, the way to a good marriage. In fact, the data says the opposite. It says the opposite of that. It's, it's, it's pretend. It's not real. It's, it's, it's fake. It's not what marriage is really like. You ignore the hard things when you're living together because you can. And if you don't think you are, uh, you are. I mean, this, uh, you know, decide, don't slide. You know, this idea that you don't just slide into something. You make a decision to do it. And when you make a decision and when you make a commitment, then you have a great, much greater degree of potential success in a marriage. The problems myth. You know, couples sometimes, you know, they're in a new relationship. They just ignore their differences. You know, we'll figure it out later. They think their love will be enough to get them through anything. I mean, that's classic new love thinking. Unfortunately, love alone isn't enough to sustain a relationship. Yes, that's hard to hear. You know, love isn't enough. Now, if you give it the broadest definition of love, then you probably could say love is enough. But that would be a very large and broad definition. But in its more narrow definition, loving feelings, passion, these kinds of things, it takes more to sustain a relationship. You've got to be actively involved in figuring out your problems. How do we solve them? What are we going to do about them? Or, or you have to understand that there are issues that are not going to go away. And they'll be with you for the duration of the, the relationship or the marriage. That's differences are inevitable. And there is a lot to be said for agreeing to disagree. It's kept my marriage together, I can assure you. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, my wife and I just say, I just agree to disagree. I, I do not agree with you. I do not see it like that, and uh, I don't see any way that I ever will. But we'll just agree to disagree. It's important to have conversations where both of you feel like you're understood, your perspective is understood, you know, you're accepted, and you can reach some type of compromise. And that's a big word, compromise. 
I, I've married uh, my share of couples and uh, like a hundred plus couples. So I, I've done a few of these and I'm telling you, I always say to every couple when we're in the pre-marriage part, you've got to understand compromise. And when people wait to get married until they're older, which is what's happening today, that's even more years of single life and independent life. And then you have to realize now I have to compromise. You, you've got to be able and be willing to compromise in a relationship that's going to end up in marriage and, and be healthy and long term. And let me just say this to those of you that are dating, you know, you, you can't make it work with just anybody and ignoring your differences is going to set you up for wasting time on a relationship that ultimately just is not a fit and it's not going to work. So you need to hear that as well. There's a there's a place for compromise and there's a place absolutely understanding differences. But if they're too different, don't get married and don't continue the relationship because time is not going to be enough to change things. All right, the passion myth. In other words, uh, you know, something's got to be wrong because if we're truly in love, the passion will never fade. The reality is, is that decline in passion is a natural part of the relationship. It tends to be high at the beginning. So everything's new and everything's exciting. But as time goes by and you get to know the person better than this, the, the, the heat, um, the intensity will decrease. Now, I do want to say this again, I've been married for over 30 years and I, I want you to know that what I would call the vibe, you know, the, the like the electricity, it, that would, it would still be evident in my marriage to this day. There is still heat. There is still passion. The only difference is that it is not as, say, consistent or as often, if you want to talk about it that way, like it is in a the newness of a relationship, because in the newness of a relationship, everything's about the relationship. But as time goes by, then you have to, you know, you have a family, you have children, you have other responsibilities, your career increases. And so there are other things in life. And this is why I am a huge believer and proponent in having these romantic getaways, or as one of my sons calls them, romantic rendezvous, uh, when he wants to be a smart aleck. Oh, you're going on a romantic rendezvous. You know, yes, we are, and you're not invited. So time when you can get away to just the two of you and leave everything, the job, the children, all the responsibilities behind and reconnect and uh, watch out, the passion will certainly return. Here's another myth, the mind reading myth, you know, the belief that you should know what I want, you know, in our romantic relationship. Uh, but that's not accurate. I mean, you, you know, romantic partners are not mind readers and you can have unrealistic expectations and that just sets you up for failure. Now, listen, I've known my wife a long time and I'm going to tell you what, I know a lot about the woman for sure, but she still surprises me with things that I did not see coming. So the more you know someone, the more you will know their mind. But the key is listening, being an active listener, expressing your own needs, expressing what you want, keeping the conversation positive, these things will make sure that you don't have to be a mind reader. What you need to be is a good listener. 
That's the, that's the key is to listen. If you listen, you'll learn and you'll know what it is that your spouse wants from you. And then you won't have to get into trying to be a mind reader. And here's the, the final myth, the, the competition myth. Most couples think that, you know, communication is the key. You know, a lot of people will say counselors and people like me who talk about relationships, it's crucial. But there are those who would believe that competition is really the, the biggest issue. The keeping score, you know, like it's your turn. It's your turn. You need to do your part here. This is this idea, you know, that a relationship is 50-50 and we meet in the middle. This is another thing I always tell couples before I marry them. It's not a meet in the middle around the, you know, the old oak tree 50-50. It's 100-100. You got to be willing to go all the way 100%. If you try to keep score, then you end up on opposite teams. And this this just this erodes the, the health of a relationship. Your partner can't take, uh, you know, responsibility for for everything. And maybe it's best to think it this way. There's just one plate. You know, it's not like you take stuff off my plate. It's that, you know, we have one shared plate. We're drawing on one another. If, we, if it's a drain, it's a drain on both of us. So that resources have to come from outside the couple. Or you just decide to uh, let things slide. You know, like we're just not going to keep banging on this. I'm just going to leave it alone. But this kind of competitive mentality is uh, going to doom a marriage, a doom a relationship. Does not lead to healthy relationships at all. So don't think in terms of competition and keeping score. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, I'm going to get taken advantage of. That's another discussion for another day. You know, like, hey, you know, I've gone all the way, you know, for you the last five times. And, you know, this now we're back to that word compromise. That's how you do it. The reality is relationships are, are challenging. You know, people are I always say different gender, different background. I mean, different personality. It's a lot of different. So they're challenging, but uh, they, they're more challenging if you're relying on bad information like these 10 myths. So just work on the healthy relationship. And believe me, it has many, many, many marvelous benefits. And we'll continue talking about that in the weeks to come here on these episodes on this uh, high impact point of impact podcast so thanks for joining us today come back next week we'll keep talking about relationships you've been listening to the point of impact podcast with rick mcdaniel thanks for tuning in and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode